Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Isabel, welcome to the Startup Stories podcast. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Sean. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So there's going to be some guests here listening that are not going to know who you are. Could you give them a brief introduction? Yes, of course, with pleasure. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabel. I'm a global head of distribution at 21 Co and 21 Shares. And um, yeah, would love to tell you more about the, the journey and how I got here and all the, the ups and downs, which I think is, is your focus, Jordan, isn't it? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So you're in London right now, but as you mentioned to me, you're German. Run me back to your childhood, to your earliest memory. What does that look like? Oh, wow. <laughs> so I grew up in Germany, about an hour away from Frankfurt in the countryside. The area is called Odenwald. Not many people will know it, but um, no, it's been, yeah, quite you know, a, a journey since then, because I come from Germany and the first time I moved to London was actually for an internship. Yeah. And then it was a bit of back and forth, went back to Germany, started studying, came back here, did my undergraduate degree. But now for over 20 years, London has been home. And it's funny sometimes when people ask me about Germany and what it's like. I don't know. I haven't been there for such a long time. So even for me now, going back to Germany, I feel like a tourist and going back to where I grew up, I really have some really good friends there. And, you know, it's lovely to go back, but it's also not a place I would want to move back and live there. It's been too long, I think. Totally understand. So when you were young, when you was a child, how would others have described you? Very outgoing, very social, love sports, love dancing, ballet is one of my passions. That's really what I wanted to do. I didn't think I would uh, be head of sales for a crypto startup that was kind of wasn't on the on the radar. So I, I did a lot of sports. I love skiing. I'm half Austrian. So, you know, skiing, snowboarding, I learned when I was really little. You know, it's sort of all, all of these attributes of like being active, meeting people, finding out about new things and, and traveling lots is uh, something I've done all my life and then mm-hmm. kind of made into a job as well, I guess. Where did the love for sports and yeah, sports and, and fitness come from? I think as a family, we're all very active. My dad, after he retired from his real job, he did all the certifications to become a skiing instructor. So he's currently living his best life, uh, just spending the winter months in the mountains. So yeah, just it's, it's something we, we did as a family. And like I say, then taking ballet lessons from very young and being very serious about it. And I uh, did all the, the classes and the syllabus of um, the Royal Academy, but unfortunately I wasn't good enough. Um, too tall and too fat was the honest feedback they give you. They don't mean words <laughs> when it comes to classical ballet. So at the time, you know, as a teenager, cut off my hair and said, I'm never going to dance again, which is not true because I'm still dancing now. So, yeah. So where did someone who grew up in the countryside in Frankfurt, as you said, end up 
going down a path of the, the financial world? So it is also what I mentioned, sort of the, the international aspects, the traveling. And when I decided then, okay, I'm not going to be a ballerina. So what next? <laughs> and then I chose to study international business because I thought whichever way I'm going to you know, sort of turn to, it'll give me a, a basic understanding. You know, you have the, the sales, marketing, economics, uh, finance. And then during my studies, I, I did a couple of internships and I did like the financial world my first job after graduation was in fixed income sales at Goldman Sachs. And we were part of the trading floor, but not actually working as a trader. But, you know, something like that, where there's so much activity, there's so much news coming out and a lot of buzz, which, you know, sometimes on the trading floors is not the case anymore because there's so many algos running. And unless there's some crazy news, you know, it can be pretty quiet. But I think that really excited me, sort of being on the pulse of developments and, you know, you have macro data, so it, it sort of was a, a path which I really enjoyed and, and still really enjoy because so after having done that and having worked in finance, when I did my MBA, which is sort of a year long program, I did it full time. So I quit my job and I gave myself that time to reevaluate like what, what I really want to do. And I came back full circle into the financial world. So I guess that gives you an indication is like I, I do like it and I'm enjoying the work and the people involved as well. So what did your first job in fixed income sales at Goldman Sachs, what did that teach you? What did that teach me? A, a lot. Because you can imagine, you know, starting there, fantastic learning opportunity. You get thrown right in the deep end. You you know, on day one, you get on a phone and you speak to clients, even though you think like, this is my first day. What what do I know? What can I tell you? And you've been doing this job, dear client, for, I don't know, 20 years. So. But it, it really was being on the ball, really making sure you've done all your work, you've done all your research, you've, you are prepared as well as you can. You ask for help. It's a team effort. It's not just you having to make the difference, but you have to pull the weight. You really, you didn't want to be the person who hadn't read the last latest research note or who, who wasn't up to speed with developments on the client side. So it was full on. <laughs> I'm not lying. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, you know, you, you do dedicate a lot to your job, which is you know, it's it's good and bad. It's, it's also, we want to perform and we want to um, build something. But at the same time, I think, and I think that's a great development overall in the financial industry, sort of the recognition of we are also a person outside of work that needs to be, and I'm not sure I like the work-life balance because it's not, you know, it's not one or the other. It's, it's all of it. But yeah, you, there's no shortcuts. That's maybe an answer how I would sum up my experience there no shortcuts you have to put in the hours you have to put in the hard work and then it'll it'll pay off yeah i can imagine at goldman sachs the standard being you know very high and very professional as well everybody knows goldman sachs so yeah wow okay so you've had quite an extensive career i can see from your linkedin cv have you ever taken a job where once you've taken you thought hmm I might be slightly out of my depth here, like experiencing any sort of imposter syndrome. It happens. It happens, I guess, in every position you take or situation. So not, you know, in every role you take up, there's bits you know very well and there's other things where you have to learn a lot. And 
probably the role where I deviated most from my path in finance was when I took a role at Willis. So now Willis Towers Watson, but at the time I joined as an in a consulting role. So heading up a team of internal consultants. And I remember during the interview process, I, I told them, I don't know anything about insurance broking. And um, at the time, the headhunter said, great, that's exactly what we want, because we want somebody to come in, totally fresh pair of eyes, asking all these questions that somebody who's involved in the industry would not ask because it's just assumed to be knowledge. So that was tough. That was really tough because here I was in a consultant role, thankfully internal consulting, which, um, you know, I guess... It gave us a lot of backing from sort of senior management as well. And they wanted us to do these studies on client profitability. So um, here was a woman in insurance, which is, you know, when you think that there's no gender equality in, in banking, there's a longer, way longer way to go in insurance broking. And then talking to the teams and really talking, these are experts, these are been doing this for a long, long time. There's one moment I, I will never forget. So in shipping, the shipping team, mm -hmm. marinas, so insuring cargo ships going all around the world, massive business. And I was trying to sort of explain what the rationale is, what we were trying to do. And they just looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> I was half their age, a woman with a spreadsheet. And it, it was just such a clash of two worlds because, like I said, these guys were absolute experts and knew this business inside out. They didn't need me to calculate, you know, which client was profitable and which one isn't because the knowledge was just there in their heads. They could just quote it. But, you know, we wanted to be a, a lot more quantitative and, and supplement sort of their qualitative knowledge. And I remember the, the head of this division, after a few weeks, we've been working together and the team and we did the analysis, presenting some research. He looked at me and said, like, Isabel, now I get it. I know what we're trying to do here. And I think this is really valuable. And that was such a, I don't know, such a success moment. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. I started off as like, I have no idea what you're doing here. And he actually took me to Lloyd's to show me around because Even when we documented all of the steps they're going through, I didn't know what that meant. So in that moment, it wasn't actually imposter syndrome. It was actual lack of knowledge. I wasn't yeah. even pretending that I knew what they were doing. But it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. But um, after a couple of years, came back full circle, came back to the ETF world and came back into finance. So, But that, that, was, that was a great experience. That was really also something where it's like, no, you just have to learn. You have to admit, I don't know this please help me. And most people react positively to that. Nobody's born with all of the knowledge. You're allowed to ask questions. But of course, that also takes quite a bit of confidence to admit, hey, I don't know what this is. Even in the team now, I always encourage people to, to say, it's okay not to know. You know, we, we are, and now, I mean, fast forward to my current role, we work in crypto. This is a new industry. This is a new asset class. There's so many things which... It's evolving. It's growing so fast. So don't, I always say to people, don't feel bad about asking as many questions as you like, because there are no experts who can claim I've been doing this for 50 years. No, nobody has. I can imagine you have naturally become more empathetic to those kinds of people because of your experience as well at Willis. From what I can see here, you've been in a lot of high profile positions at many different companies. What do you think it is? What do you think is the running theme that these companies seeing you what quality in particular do you think that they see in you that 
they really want in their business? I think it's it's very much a people business. No matter how much we think it's technology and it's, um, like I mentioned earlier, algorithms and, and, you know, all of this stuff, it really is people, relationships. And I think that and, and building teams and trying to push the boundaries, come up with, with new ideas, solving problems that haven't been tackled before, sort of being slightly in that uncomfortable situation, I think... That's what I like. That's what I, where I, I strive. And then, you know, also making sure we do things properly. If you look at it, so I've, I've worked for many established organizations and big global mm-hmm. organizations. But within that, it was always kind of a team, not the, the government's job. That's very established. There was, a, you know, nothing new. But when I, for example, when I joined iShares, which at the time was part of Barclays Global Investors, and ETFs were just sort of starting. It was more thing in the US, in Europe. People were looking like, what what are these exchange-traded funds? And even internally within BGI, we were that team with a funky marketing, not quite sure what they were doing because, you know, we are a very well-established asset manager and here are these kids with this ETF idea. So I think the common theme was always something new, the the innovative bit, the let's try this out, let's see what happens. I think that would probably be the right sort of red thread, common thread throughout all of my positions. So run me through, you know, your career to the point where, you know, the opportunity at 21 Co comes about. Mm -hmm. At the time I was working at Euronext, again, great organization, fantastic team, wasn't even thinking about changing. And then one of my ex-colleagues, she approached me, Lucy Reynolds, she's the COO of 21 Co. And she said, Isabel, this is what we're doing. We're trying to build a sales team. We're looking at distribution in Europe. You know, your experience would be great. What what do you think? It'd be great if you could join. And um, because it was completely out of the blue and I, I never, you know, I wasn't looking for a new role and my initial reaction was, I, Lucy, I don't think I know enough about crypto. <laughs> it's like, I've, I'm super interested. I follow it sort of from a personal perspective, but I haven't dealt with it professionally. And um, I don't know. So it, it, the initial reaction was a bit like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure this is for me. But she had planted the seed. And she said, oh, just, you know, speak to our co-founders and, and um, you know, ex- exchange some ideas. And I did that. And then I was completely hooked. I was really, you know, thinking, this is amazing. This is an opportunity too good to not take. And I always remember the conversation I had to have with my then boss at the time. And I said to Tim, Chris, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving. (laughs) And this has got nothing to do with the current job or the current team or the role. But this really is something I I feel like I have to do. And that's two years ago. And I I haven't regretted it for one day because it is exciting. It is. We're building something. It's a completely new area. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it also goes to show like sometimes you really have to trust your gut feeling. I, that I didn't want to be in that position where I turned down the role and because I, I would have followed it from the sideline, from externally, and I, I didn't want to think, oh, I wish I would have done that. So, you know, I, I think sometimes I also think it's good to take risks, calculated risks, but sometimes you just have to go for it. If some opportunity presents itself, just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? If it goes wrong, well, you 
brush yourself off and, and start again and, and carry on. But I'm really, really glad I, I made that change. What was it specifically where you thought this is too good of an opportunity to turn down? What about it? Well, if you look at the at the whole crypto and digital asset space, we're super early. We're really at the, the stages where, let's say, early, early chapter of the internet, where, you know, people, there was a lot of criticism at that time as well, where people looked at it and there's these famous clips now turned into memes of people saying, oh, this will go away. You know, why would I need a web page? And what is all this about? We are at that stage with crypto where, you know, it's it's getting a little bit more user friendly, but there's a lot of development that can happen there. But um, and questions around, well, what is the use case? Why would I you know, do all of this on, on a blockchain? And that was the exciting bit. And this was the bit where, like I said, I, I didn't do it from a professional standpoint, but just, you know, following the developments there and and seeing, well, what is out there? What is possible? What are people working on? You know, tons of developers or the TVL locked on, on Ethereum now. That has grown massively. That has really, or, you know, also on, on other protocols, there's really just sort of the, the indicator of, well, where is this going? And even if you speak to people who are a lot more expert in in this field than I am, but, you know, still, where is this going? Do we really know? You know, could we have predicted at the beginning of the internet that we live our lives on our mobile phones and, you know, we, we panic if we forget our phone? Yeah. <laughs> because we're completely stuck. We can't pay for anything. We can't use public transport because everything is now on, on our phones. We couldn't have predicted that. No. And and this was really the, you know, the bit where I'm like, I want to be part of this journey. You know, even even now, I, I, there's tons I need to learn, there's tons I need to familiarize myself with. But yeah, just being part of this was super exciting. Amazing. So since you've joined, you've been there, what, just over two years now? Uh, what impact has this role had on you? It has... Oh, what impact on on me? Um, I'm so used to talking about what impact it has had on the business <laughs> that you know I was about to sort of give you all these figures. But on myself, it's um, a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and you know, really in, enjoying the role I'm in, the work I'm doing. I have some great people I work with. I like the diversity also of. Of our team, so at the moment we we have two offices or official offices, so one in Zurich, one in New York. We're always well, we are in the process of opening a London office. There's ten of us here in London now, but also we have quite a few colleagues who are based remotely and and around the globe. So connecting with everybody, hearing people's point of view, and I guess for me that has also helped you know, broaden the horizon of what are the use cases? What is possible? What are we dealing with here? You can imagine we, we deal a lot on, on the regulatory front as well, where, you know, just being able to give input, being able to to step up and not purely have have the sales focus, which of course is totally what, what we do. But um, for me and also for, for the rest of the sales colleagues, it is a case of, of course, raising assets. We are an ETF issuer or one part of the business, the 21 shares businesses. But then also we spend a lot of time educating. We spend a lot of time and also presenting who are we as a company? What do we stand for? And that's been interesting and something I, I didn't have to do before so much because it was, you know, 
dealing with fixed income or dealing even ETFs sort of has, they, they have now been um, in existence for a long time, 10 trillion global industry. So again, on the product structure and on the regulatory fund, there's less we had to deal with. But yeah, on myself, I don't know. I've never thought about <laughs> that. <laughs> so when was 21 Co established? What year? Five years ago. So years in, ago. in November... We will celebrate our, our fifth anniversary. So in, in November, this was when Honey and Ophelia, our co-founders, they listed the first product on the Swiss exchange. It actually wasn't the Bitcoin ETF or ETP. It was um, a basket, so HODL, basket of top cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and five years in crypto is a long time. Five years in crypto is it's kind of like dog years. <laughs> it's like yeah. seven years in traditional finance. And it's been tough. We had amazing years, 2021, when I joined. It was great. People were super excited about the asset class. NFTs was in, in what seemed like every headline last year since then the middle of last year, not so much, um, you know, with Luna, with FTX blowing up, the conversations were totally different. And the skepticism or, you know, the questions our, our clients asked were very different. So, you know, like in those five years, a lot has happened. But the, the great thing is that we're here, you know, we, we've learned, we've gone through this we continue to build and this was the other thing where everybody was talking about crypto winter and isn't it all terrible no no we carried on as this it's like this is this is the time to build now this is the time to be there for clients to have the conversations to answer everybody's questions get people comfortable and as much as the industry was affected and you know it it didn't help us from a sort of reputational front for the industry, not for us as a company. But what was such a big compliment to us is that clients or prospects or regulators, they came to us and said, what is happening here? Can you explain this to us? And, you know, establishing yourself as a sort of trusted partner. I know a lot of companies claim that, but we really had the chance to demonstrate that during the bad times. So it's always sort of a, a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's like, oh... This is not ideal. But on the other hand, it's like, no, this is when we need to double down and when we really need to show our expertise and, and what we stand for. What would you say has been the key to 21 Co's success to you know adapt through those times? As you say, 2021 was fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm seeing it myself. Of course, the last year or so has changed dramatically. What would you say your reasoning for being successful even during these kind of times? It is being really prudent, being really like, of course, building the business, but not getting overexcited, you know, and, and this is and it's difficult because in startup world, you need that enthusiasm. You need people with a vision who say, we're going to change the world. Otherwise, you'd, you'd never do it. And, you know, we, our, our co-founders, fantastic people with, you know, really that vision, enthusiasm and, and drive to make it happen. But at the same time, and this is. I guess where we also have a good combination of skills within the organization to always check, are we doing the right thing? Is this, you know, sustainable? Because of course we would like to grow, but not growth for growth's sake. There's no, excuse the pun, but upside in sort of, you know, projecting all this, oh, hockey stick growth, and it's all nonsense. Everybody can come up with uh, some um, fantastic looking graphs and raise capital, but then don't deliver in anything. And this is where we said, like, no, this is about execution. This is about demonstrating 
what we can do, how we do it. You know, sometimes passing an opportunity just because it's like, no, no, let's not get sidetracked. Let's go back to the to the core of what we're of what we're trying to achieve. And I think that's really getting that balance right is really, I think, one of the challenges. Because, like I say, in in startups, you start with a blank sheet of paper. There's no legacy. There's no support. You pick up the phone. Nobody knows who you are. But then not getting when you have those successes not getting big-headed and and unfortunately we've had a lot of bad examples in the crypto world and you know all this whole image of like oh the crypto bros and Lamborghinis and everything this is not who we are for sure no. you know? and I think uh, one journalist I was talking to a couple of months ago he's like oh so you, you're at the boring end of crypto. I'm like, do you know what? I'll take that. Yes, yes. We, yeah. we you know, if that gives you confidence in our ability and what we can do, I stay on a boring bit. I, I don't need to be in the flashy headlines. No, I really respect the mentality of the business entirely because you're absolutely right. I've seen it, you know, obviously being a recruitment business owner, I talk to many companies where you see a lot of people disappearing just because they've overhired when things are good and are not prepared for when the market can change and be volatile like it always will be there'll always be ups and there'll always be downs so yeah it's, I commend you for obviously staying prudent as you say and uh, doing things the right way so that you can stay here even during tough times yeah yeah so what would you say has been the highlight of your career so far at 21co i'm proud where we are right now in terms of the team in terms of you know the the products we've launched the successes we had and i think in a tough year and you know like i said ultimately the measure or the very black and white measure of success for the etf part for 21 shares is net new assets you know how much how much new flow are we gathering and even for 2022, which was such a tough year, we didn't have any outflows. We ended up um, the year in positive territory, 110 million. It's not that much, but it really is new money that has come in. And we kept the AUM. Well, the AUM dropped significantly because of market movements. But if you look at it from a, a, a shares outstanding point of view, which takes out all of the market movements and volatility, we were stable. And I'm really proud of that because, again, it, it just shows that clients stuck with us. They, you know, they invested new money very gradually. And, you know, sometimes it, it took a long time for them to make that decision. But I think that's something to I and like I say, the, the whole team can be very proud of because it gives us this opportunity now that the sentiment has changed and we don't need to talk that much about product structure and who are the partners we're working with um, anymore. And, and more pe- the sentiment has changed. People are looking at asset allocation. How do we incorporate crypto into our existing portfolios? And um, just having lived through that uh, turbulent time and still had successes, I, I think that's that's really good. Because when, when the market goes up and everything's wonderful, it's easy to, to gather the assets. But we were in a completely different situation. So this is something where we can say this this was a highlight. I mean, 
gathering 1 billion in 2021 was, you know, it, it felt better. It was like, wow, uh, you know, this, this is fantastic. But um, yeah, you have to stay realistic. As you said, there's always going to be ups and downs and you have to be prepared for that. And I think there it also helped. So the, the team we have in place on the distribution side is... A lot of people came with, you know, experience and experience in a traditional financial world. So we kind of lived through ups and downs and financial crashes. So it was less dramatic, I would say, or, you know, it, it was more like, a, mm, okay, yeah, we've gone through this, we will get out the other end. Maybe in some other crypto businesses where people haven't had that experience, that was such a shock. It's like, oh, you know, sort of everything is disappearing around us. What do we do now? And this is where within the company. So you have people like myself, I would say, coming from a TradFi background. But then we also have teams and colleagues totally crypto native and really having that. And then everything in between people with a really in-depth technology background, our research team with such a breadth of uh, knowledge and backgrounds and putting all of this together and getting everybody's input is really exciting. Considering majority of your career, you've been in established companies and now with 21Co and I don't know if you still call them a startup, but very much a smaller company. How would you compare what it's like to work for an established firm to working for a startup? Both have pros and cons, for sure. It's grass is always greener. So maybe within a big organization, you think, oh, there's all this bureaucracy and tons of internal meetings and it, to get a decision, it's, um, you know, takes forever. Whereas for us, if we decide to do something, we get the right people in on a Zoom call or in a room, you know, go through the different scenarios and say, yeah, let's go for it. So that is, of course, a lot quicker. In some cases, of course, then you also have in a startup, and here we've, we've done a lot of work internally as well too, you need some processes. That doesn't mean you need to become overly bureaucratic, but we are a company of 150 people, like I said, many different locations. Things don't happen organically that much if you're a five-person company and everybody's in the same location or and I'll just uh, dot it around but very accessible information will flow just naturally now because we've grown significantly then you, you have to make more of an effort and make sure the right people are informed and you know this is just one example where in a small organization it depends on what stage you are but we are now we're no longer a startup. Sometimes we still think, oh, we are, but we're not. We are, uh, we, we've finished that chapter. And also you, you have to adjust and you have to also, from that perspective, from internal setup, make sure that it's sustainable and you can be successful and support everybody in their role. Everybody has the information, the resources they need, which is, of course, more of a challenge in a small organization rather than in a big one, because you might have a whole team dedicated to requests for proposals like RFQs when you get these in. A BGI could pass it to the RFQ team <laughs> at 21 Chess. It's us together with uh, legal colleagues and operation colleagues. So yeah, but I must say it's, uh, I like the the dynamic. I like the yeah, like I said, the building aspect, even though sometimes it, it can be frustrating. I'm not going to lie where you think like, we don't have enough, you know, who's, who's going to deal with this now? But then you just get through it and everybody rolls up their sleeves. Absolutely. I totally understand what you're saying. So talk to me about the long-term goals then for, for 21 
Co. How big are the ambitions and how far do you want to take it? We want to become the default player. If anybody is considering going into the crypto space, we really want that person to think 21 Co. 21 shares for our ETF offerings, 21 Co. for token solutions. We can help on the infrastructure side. So at the moment, we're mainly known for, for the ETFs and we have 37 products listed across all of the European exchanges, one in the Middle East. So people, when it's also, we always have to explain, it's like, well, who's 21 shares and why is your email address 21 Co? And how does this all fit together? <laughs> so 21 Co is the parent company and 21 shares is the ETF business. But as I just highlighted there, so there are other parts to our business as well and they will grow. So the ambition really is to to be a sort of full service provider in that space. And for many of our clients and potential investors, the ETF is the easiest way to get into this space because it, it really bridges the traditional financial world. We're listed on regulated exchanges and you know everything is set up. People know how to trade ETFs. But then as the knowledge and also internal knowledge in those organizations grow, an ETF might not be the most optimal solution. You know, could things be done by in a, in a tokenized form or is there something we can help other companies to set themselves up how to deal with crypto? What do you need to be able to maintain custody or who are the players you should be working with? What do you do with wallets? And, you know, there's a lot of expertise we have that we are sharing, but at the moment, maybe we're not known for it. So yeah, so the, the ambition is is big. But uh, coming back to my earlier point, it's like one step at a time. We don't want to overpromise, underdeliver. We always, you know, go out and it's like, okay, this is to, with, with something demonstrating. You know, we're not just talking ideas here. No, we've done this. And here's what we've done. And this is how we can help you. It's very clear that you're personally very motivated by, you know, your your two years so far at 21 Co, you speak so passionately about them. What is it for you that personally motivates you to do what you do every day for 21 Co and want to contribute the way you do? I think here, like I say, it's the team, it's tackling those challenges, knowing that I do have great support and knowledge and people to bounce ideas off and I think that really, for me, makes a huge difference. And it's something where in sort of the company culture, you know, there's many, many definitions. What, what does that mean? But just enjoying those interactions internally as well as externally with, with clients. And and this is the other thing. I've, I've always had external facing roles where you're also the voice of the customer in, internally then. But I think just really appreciating who I work with and what everybody brings. I just had... a a two-week holiday and I always encourage everybody when you're on holiday log off you're out of the office I don't want to see you online you don't need to reply to messages and being able to do that I know I have colleagues who will pick things up and I can totally trust and, and rely on them I think that makes a huge difference where you know, you, you have the freedom. Also, you know, of course, we're all fully committed and, and working really hard, but then also having the time to step away, think about something completely different and then come back. And, you know, when I logged on yesterday, of course, many messages and tons of things to, to catch up on, but no disasters, no things where you think, oh God, I wish I wouldn't have gone away. Lovely. So throughout your illustrious career, 
what would you say is the, you know, this is the last question. What was the, what would you say is the most important lesson that you have learned? Stay true to what you're passionate about. I mean, in every job, there's things we like, there's things we don't like. And you can do a job sometimes, you know, for a while where you think, oh, I really don't like it. And you kind of have to drag yourself to work every day. But again, that's not sustainable. And I, I don't want to sound naive and it's like, oh, follow your passion. And, you know, we all have a financial reality as well. But make sure it's, you know, it, it's you can have a job, but then usually people do something outside of their job. So they have something to pay the bills, but then there's something that's really, you're really passionate about. Try and figure out a way in a position where you can maybe combine those two, because then, and also, you know, when I said be true to yourself, we all need to perform, We but don't put on a persona. Just, we can do this for a while, but when you you asked earlier about an imposter syndrome, do you want to play that role? Or do you want to be more like, you know, the Isabel you see now is also the Isabel you would see on the weekend, you know, probably yeah. on the BMX track with my boys and, uh, you know, just, just being a mum. So I think that is important. Don't compartmentalize yourself into this is the work Isabel and this is the private friends and family Isabel is is sort of I don't know it's for me you know there's people who can do that and you you probably wouldn't recognize them in work and outside of work but that's something that that just doesn't work for me so I I really feel like try to enjoy yourselves and and this is the other thing in every job and you know of course I, I speak very positively about it doesn't mean everything's going well all the time and we have no you know I don't have issues to deal with absolutely not but this is also the reality no matter what you do that'll happen but just keep the positive outlook and and know you get through it and yeah like I say try try and and enjoy it try and enjoy the journey sometimes you don't know where it leads to like I say started out from I'm gonna be a ballet dancer to hey I'm uh, heading up distribution for a crypto company it's not predictable you know sometimes and you will appreciate that as a recruiter I hope you don't you don't actually ask those questions in in interviews when you get questions of where do you see yourself in three years or five years I mean hopefully that doesn't happen anymore but early on in my career you would get that question quite often who knows (laughs) it's like there's so many twists and turns and you can't predict it so this is why I say switch true to yourself take opportunities you know, even sometimes it might not be the right decision, but just go for it and uh, see where it leads you. Absolutely. You should uh, use what you've learned and then be present because we all know and the harsh reality is that life is very short. And if you don't enjoy every moment, even the smallest of things, um, even those tedious tasks, just be grateful that, you know, you have a job or you're in a place that you enjoy to work or you're in a good financial situation, even if it isn't the job that you want to do for the rest of your career just be grateful so i think that's that's the message there be true to yourself like you said enjoy it and be grateful and work hard so yeah yes yes and this is <laughs> this is also the one bit it's like like i said earlier no shortcuts unfortunately and no matter how much we can use technology and ai and it's like no you need to put in the work the hours this that that will not change unfortunately absolutely absolutely <laughs> 
Isabel, thank you so much for joining me on the Startup Stories podcast. Thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your story right from Frankfurt right up to where you're living now in London with 21 Co. It's fantastic. Nice to see the business is, you know, established in Zurich and New York and slowly but surely going to be London as well with the 10 of you there which is great to see my home city. So that's also an added bonus. So yeah, thank you so much. And I really enjoyed learning all about you and I'll be following the journey from afar. Jordan, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to start up stories so you never miss an episode also don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content and if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about please reach out to me and as always i appreciate your support and feedback thanks for listening and i'll see you next time